Recently, I sold my little Nissan Frontier truck. It was a 2000 Nissan Frontier. Uh, great truck, but I didn't need it anymore, and I sold it. I, I had just bought a tag for it when I sold it. And so I realized that I could get most of my money back for the tag. So I went to the DMV to sort of settle that issue, and I waited in line a good long time, and uh, finally got to the window to do my business there. I had all the papers I needed except the bill of sale. I left it at home, and I stood there for a second, just hoping the lady would find a way to trust me without seeing the actual bill of sale. And I tried to sort of work it out with her. It was a busy day. I didn't really need to go home and come back and wait in line again. And I noticed the line was getting longer. I tried my best to persuade her. But I knew it was all done when I heard her look to the left and loudly say, Next, please. <laughs> it was exit time for me. I told you that story because it's going to make sense in a minute. We're in our viral series that we started last summer, our summer series of the book of Acts, about how the gospel went viral uh, in just a few years' time, in literally just a few years' time, it left this little enclave in the upper room and went all the way across the known world at the time and made its way to Rome. You can see it all in the book of Acts. We're talking about what made the church go viral especially in a time where we see church attendance dwindling in the United States of America and a lot of people with a very adverse feeling toward church. I want you to join with me as we read the text for today. Pastor Jay mentioned last week in the first message from Acts chapter 13, he spoke about the first part. I've got the very end of the chapter, and if you'll turn to Acts 13 verse 44, I want to read it to you. It tells you the story. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first since you rejected and don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed unto eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them, and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background about this thing. Paul and Barnabas, as we saw last week, had been sent by the Holy Spirit and anointed by the church at Antioch to go out as the first missionaries. And they did. They went to the island of Cyprus, and they preached, and they had adventures there. And then they went to a place that was called Pisidian Antioch. Love the name of that town. Pisidian Antioch. And something really strange happened there. They did what they always did when they went to preach. They went to a Jewish synagogue. Now, they went to a Jewish synagogue because, well, that's where people 
didn't worship idols. They, they already like were religious people. They, they understood the Old Testament. They knew about God. They knew the Bible. They even looked for the coming of the Messiah. And they thought it was a perfect place to preach Jesus. And it really was. It was like we got some common ground here. So they went there, made sense. And it was definitely their comfort zone, wouldn't you say? Paul and Barnabas, totally Jewish guys, they went to their comfort zone. But in Pisidian Antioch, which by the way is now Turkey, it didn't go so well. They got a mixed reception there. The Gentiles, that is the people who were not Jewish, received the message and the Jews in the synagogue chased them out of town. It really messed them up pretty bad too. <laughs> they initially got terribly offended, duh. How dare these people of God treat us in such a way? Uh, they did this little exercise that Jewish people did often. Yeah, they did. The Jews, when they walked through a pagan neighborhood or when they walked through Samaria or a place where the people weren't good Jewish people, they would take off their sandals and if, if they walked through the town, they would shake the dust off their shoes so they wouldn't be carrying into that nasty Gentile dust with them. And that pagan dust with them. We don't want the dirt from these pagan people's towns sticking to us. That's what, Jew, that's what a pious Jew would do. So Paul and Barnabas just gave the Jews a taste of their own medicine. They just said, you're going to reject the word of the Lord? Probably very publicly they did that. They probably had a TV camera and everything. And I'm sure the Jews were just livid at that. You know they were. But actually, this was a real turning point for Paul and Barnabas. Last week, it was a pivotal point in Christianity because for, for once, these people were sent from God out of the Holy Land into the world. And they said, we'll go. And the first place they went, to the Jews. That was still comfort zone. That's like being on a foreign missions trip and spending all your time in an English-speaking American church. That's what they did. For the first time, they realized something. The Jews, who were expected to be easy converts to Christianity, were not at all. Now, Paul and Barnabas were expert Jews. They knew exactly what to say to the Jews. They knew exactly how to go through the Bible and explain to the Jews. They knew how to say it, what to say, when to say it. They were specially trained at being Jews, for reaching Jews. But it wasn't working. Didn't work at all. And they were frustrated. They had been sent by the church and the Holy Spirit, and now were being chased out of town by their own kind. How embarrassing, how confusing, how infuriating, how unexpected, how offended they were. Then it suddenly dawned on them. The Holy Spirit was actually saying, next please, just like the lady at the DMV. <laughs> Look at verse 46, I want to read that again to you. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, 
we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You know, this is amazing to me. You know what they just quoted? They quoted the Old Testament. They quoted the heart of God was not just to love the Jews. God wanted to use the Jews to reach the world. That was God's original purpose. And they never had done it. The closest it ever came was when Jonah went to Nineveh and won the whole city to God and still got mad that God didn't strike them dead. That's the truth. That's the closest they ever got to it. And God said, I'm going to get this job done. I want the light to go to the Gentiles. And if the synagogue's not going to do it, Paul, Barnabas, go. It's like God clarified what the, they were sent in the early part of chapter 13. And now God said, this is where you're sent to, okay? Go. Go. The Gentiles are waiting. It dawned on them. God clarified to Paul and Barnabas why they were sent. It wasn't to win all the Jews and then hope the Gentiles followed. It was to win the Gentiles and maybe the Jews might learn. Wow. God just simply said, next please. That's exactly where we are in the life of our church and Christianity in America right now. For as long as I remember, I have lived in a Bible Belt culture that had a great measure of respect for God, even if they didn't live for him. They had a respect for Christianity. They had a respect for the Ten Commandments, for church, for biblical morality. I said respect. I didn't say obedience, just respect. Sort of not like that now. It's not. Can you tell the difference? George Barna, he's a, basically he's a Christian statistician. That's the best way to put it. He's got this new volume that he just published that flatly states this. Moral anarchy has arrived in Western society and culture. And he also takes the argument a little bit further and suggests that the United States is now in a state of spiritual anarchy as well. Do you know what anarchy means? Anarchy means no, no direction. Anarchy means nothing holding everything together. He mentioned that millions of people's faith activity is no longer in these parameters that used to be, parameters of church loyalty. You, you know what? Probably when many of you were growing up, if you like moved from this this city to another city, you would go, hey, where's the Assemblies of God church in, the, in this town? We need to go to church this Sunday. Or if you were a Baptist, they, uh, let's, let's pick one of the Baptist churches to go to. Nowadays, people don't even know what those titles are. They, they're, that's, they're not specifically looking for church loyalty, denominational loyalty. There's a parameter like respect for clergy. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't demand anybody's respect. I don't even like the word clergy. When you go to the hospital and they go, are you clergy? I'm going, I am? One time I went to St. Vincent's. And uh, you have to go, uh, you know, when you, when you go a lot to the hospital to visit, they have this thing for pastors to sign this little thing and they don't have to pay to get out of the parking deck because they may come three or four times that day. And so I went up to the desk 
and there was a nun sitting there in her nun suit. And, uh, and I said, I mean, that, that's, I, I, didn't mean that, I didn't mean that disrespectfully. She, she, was, she was obviously a nun, okay? And I said, and I, and I, I said, uh, where, do, where do I need to get a token? She said, are you a pastor? Uh, no, are you clergy? And I went, oh, yes, ma'am. She said, you don't look like clergy. Well, first of all, I didn't have the little collar with the little white thing. Secondly, I had on shorts. And I said, you don't look like a receptionist. And she said, touche. I remember, though, I, I remember when Peggy and I first came here and we, we'd gotten married and I, we got a, check in a, a joint checking account. And on the checking account, it said, Reverend and Mrs. Mark N. Sims. And back then, you didn't, you didn't have cards to, you, nobody had cards to pay. If you didn't have cash, you wrote a check. So you'd go to the grocery store, write a check, all this kind of stuff. And that went on for a while. And I remember one time I went, this was like later on, when checking accounts were pretty rare, and a lot of people weren't taking checks anymore. And, and I said, can I write a check? And they said, uh, maybe. And so I pulled out my checkbook, and they looked and said, I'm sorry, we don't take checks from pastors, from preachers. Too many of them bounce. Oh, I never put Reverend on my check, checking account again. That was so sad to me. There, there was a parameter back in the day of an, an acceptance of absolute truth, you know, some things were right and some things were wrong. There was this preference of Christianity in our country. There was a reverence for God in one way or another. There was an appreciation of even Christian tradition. But now there's this void that has been filled by this spirituality that's not biblical at all. It's just this what's right for me. And we know that. This, this, is, this is why we say America is in a post-Christian place now. It's, it's not that God has left us. It's that somehow our nation doesn't think about God the way it used to. In other words, we live in a culture that is sort of hardened against our message. They're not just, hey, good, we want to hear from you. The world is turned upside down for us. In the Bible Belt, we've been so accustomed to a friendly attitude toward the church. If a neighbor would move in your neighborhood, you'd go up to him and say, hey, what church y'all go to? Now, that's not even the question you ask. They probably don't attend anywhere. I had somebody come to my house recently, knocked on the door, and I came to the door and they said, hey, we're starting a church. We just want to invite you to come. We're starting a church down here. And we just wonder, would you be interested? And I said, thank you so much for coming by. I'm a pastor at Kingwood. And they said, oh, oh, yeah. That's what mo many of the people here said they go to Kingwood. I said, they're not telling the truth. <laughs> really? They said everybody said they went to Kingwood or they went to Highlands. I said, they're not telling the truth. <laughs> Every Sunday, they're, they're mowing grass. I said, please invite everybody. <laughs> Our paradigm has to change. 
We have to see ourselves in a mission field, not in a church-swapping community. That's the truth. We spend much of our efforts trying to attract the ones who ought to be open to the message of Jesus. We spend so much time trying to attract the people who ought to know Jesus or who do and would like to maybe come fellowship with us. It's time we hear the Holy Spirit say, next, please. About 240 years ago, I was not here then, but about 240 years ago, our nation was in a terrible spiritual decline. Our nation? Yeah, it was the colonies. 1730s, 17, uh, early 1740s, our nation was in a terrible spiritual decline. America was a British colony. It was in great darkness. This rigid legalistic religion of the pilgrims up in New England was in great decline. They used to have a thing called the covenant you would sign if you, everybody had to sign the covenant to be a part of a church. They did a thing called the halfway covenant to where you could tithe 5% instead of 10% as long as you would join the church. It was crazy. It was in spiritual decline. The Church of England was quite corrupt at the time. And in the southern colonies, Georgia and Virginia and the Carolinas, very few people even attended church at all because the churches were few and far between. It was a rural area. These enlightenment philosophies of Europe were scientific, humanistic, not biblical worldviews at all. And America was money-hungry and an amoral society at the time. America was the Wild West at that time. And then in the 1740s and 1750s came missionaries. Oh, yeah, the Paul and Barnabases of the times. John and Charles Wesley. Then there was Jonathan Edwards, a homegrown guy. And my favorite, George Whitfield. Whitfield, Whitfield was in seminary in England and quit. He quit. He said, I can't take it anymore. I cannot take learning theology and not doing it. So he just got on a boat. Oh, his family was flaming mad. He got on a boat, came to America, and decided that he would preach in American churches. And they wouldn't let him in because he didn't have the right degree and he wouldn't wear a robe. So he just heard the Holy Spirit say, next, please. So he landed in New York and he preached the gospel to the, right outside the pubs and the prostitute houses. Boy, that'll make you popular with clergy. In Manhattan. In Boston, he preached from a tree in Boston Commons Park telling the story of Zacchaeus and how money was not the thing that would satisfy people. And he had a crowd. <laughs> Who was the idiot in the tree? Well, it was George Whitfield, not in a robe. In Philadelphia, he preached to people as they arrived in the busy port of Philadelphia getting off the ships, many of them Irish. In Virginia, he organized a picnic at the College of William and Mary so the students, who could, he could reason with them and talk to them. In Georgia, in Savannah, and in Charleston, South Carolina, he set up bales of cotton and tobacco and preached about freedom to those who were captive to sin, just as slaves were being unloaded from the slave ships. He decided, he and others, went beyond the dead churches, straight to the people. 
And this phenomenon occurred in America that is rarely discussed in American textbooks. It was called the Great Awakening. Let me tell you why the Great Awakening happened in the 1740s. Because, not because God said, well, it's time. That was not it. It was because some people heard the Holy Spirit say, next, please. And they went to where the people were hungry. That's where they went. God didn't bring the hungry people into their church. Did you hear it? God didn't bring the hungry people in their church. They went to the hungry people and brought them. It changed our country because someone heard the word next. Some will never listen. So let's go to the ones that will in a way that they will hear. You know, I noticed that Paul and Barnabas, when they were in the synagogues, the Bible says they argued with the Scriptures. They tried to reason in the Scriptures with the Jews. What about when you go to a pagan temple area? What Scriptures are you going to use? Whose Scriptures are you going to use? Well, they don't know anything about the Scriptures. So Paul and Barnabas had to learn a different way to communicate with these people. In Whitfield's day, he went to the outcast and what was called the secular sinners. Paul and Barnabas just decided to shake the dust off their shoes, and that may seem rude, but there was more to it than that for them. Paul and Barnabas couldn't let being rejected by the church folks of the day, by the synagogue folks of the day, stand in the way of them doing what God had called them to do. They were not going to allow the dust of rejection and persecution and offense and Failure, stick to them. Just because this bunch didn't listen, I'm not going to tuck my tail and go home. I'm just going to go find somebody that will. And they were not offended. They were not rejected. They didn't let the dust stick to their feet, and neither should we. Here's here's something I want to leave with you, and I'm sort of early. Here's what I want to leave with you. Number one. Not everyone will listen to the message of Christ. I am so sorry to tell you that, but that is the truth. It's not because the message of Christ shouldn't be preached to them. It's not because uh, God has chosen them not to listen. It's their choice. Not everyone will listen to the message of Christ. And I'll be honest with you, that hurts my feelings. But I cannot allow a sense of failure to come over to me. And you can't do the same. Your neighbor may not have come with you on Easter, but you don't quit praying for your neighbor and you don't let that rejection make you stop. Not everyone will listen to the message of Christ. Here's the second point. Some will listen. And if you let the first group stop you, the ones that will listen will never hear it. Some will listen. God's word will not return void. Here's the third point. Boy, I'm going through these quick, aren't I? Go to those who will listen. When rejection comes, shake the dust off of offense and of failure and of rejection and move on. Hear the Holy Spirit say, next, please. 
I like it in chapter 13. This is, how, this is the last verse in chapter 13. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them. And they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It appears to me that they were not filled with failure and rejection. They were filled with joy. Why? Because the Gentiles were listening. They didn't go lick their wounds because the Jews were mad. They just moved on. I think this is appropriate to share this today. Master's Commission just returned a few, about a, about a month ago from a, a trip to Dearborn, Michigan. Actually, uh, Kingwood took a trip to Dearborn, Michigan back in, I think, 2013, 2012, something like that. Dearborn, Michigan... Uh, is, is, a, is right outside of Detroit. Spent a week with Trey and Becky Hancock, who are missionaries to the Arab Muslims in Dearborn, Michigan. Now, Dearborn is the headquarters of the Ford Motor Company. In the 1920s and 1930s, Henry Ford, who was the head of Ford Motor Company, uh, had to have workers to work the assembly lines. And he couldn't find enough workers. And he, because he had prejudice issues, he did not want African-Americans from the South coming up and working in the the, uh, assembly lines. And he did not want the immigrants who were landing in New York who were from Eastern Europe because many of them were Jewish. He didn't want them to come. So he paid for uh, workers from the former Ottoman Empire, which had crumbled in the Middle East, And many of them were especially Lebanese and Syrian and some Turkish. And they moved, he paid for them to come and live in Dearborn, had little places for them to live in Dearborn so that he could pay them a lot less than he would American workers. Well, they have multiplied and they're still living in Dearborn, Michigan. They're American citizens, but they are Arab Muslims. And I promise you, when you go to Dearborn, it's like going to Beirut or Cairo or Baghdad or something. I'm serious. All the the signs are in Arabic and and they've got, it's just like, it's amazing. The town is now completely Arab and Muslim. How in the world do you reach that town? How do you do that in America? Let me tell you how you don't do it. Let me tell you what won't work. Having a Billy Graham crusade in Dearborn would not work. Having a Christian Signs and Wonders conference in Dearborn would not work. They wouldn't come. Having a famous Christian speaker invade the place would not work. Let me tell you what works. Hospitality. This may blow your mind, but hospitality works. The Arab people are totally and completely hospitable. It doesn't matter who you are or what your belief is, they will invite you to their home and treat you like a king, even if they don't agree one thing with you. And in order for Christians to reach them, they have to be hospitable. It is amazing. It is amazing. We took our team there. And this was the strategy. We learned about what wasn't going to work. We learned that you, argue, you can't argue out of the Bible. They got a different one. 
you can't, that, that doesn't work. They have misunderstandings about Christianity. One of those misunderstandings, one is that we don't like them. That we think they're all terrorists. So we got to get past that. We found out that the church, what they do is they, they offer English as a second language for the women who do not know how to read and they do not know how to speak English. Sometimes in their families, they're not allowed to do that. And so while their husband's at work, the women will go next door to their friend's house and someone from the church will come and teach English as a second language. Or if their family will let them come to the church building, they'll come and they'll learn English there and they'll be able to share with them and build relationships with them and be hospitable and be kind and invite them to their homes. And that's how they win them because you don't win Muslim people to God easily. They don't just go home and go, hey, I became a Christian today. Mom and dad go, oh, well, good. That's not how it works. They lose their family when they come to Christ. Yes, in Dearborn, Michigan. And we also found out that the young people don't like Islam. They don't really like it at all. They're just sort of trapped in it. And they really have to do it in order to please their family. And so you'll see these teenage girls working in, in a fast food place and they've got the hijabs on and they've got all the, they're all covered in, in all this stuff. And you're thinking, do they really like this? And the missionary said, no, they don't. But it's just all they know and they can't do any different. And so they'll sit down and talk to somebody. They'll sit down, they want to talk. We found out these people are more, more apt to ask questions and want to know more about you than any of the people right here. And these young people want to talk. They want to find out what's out there. They grew up in America. They know. Suddenly, Christianity becomes more of a magnet to them, but it comes through conversation, not through preachers behind pulpits. We were able to do an outreach in the park. Now, used to, we would do an outreach in the park in Birmingham, and we'd do all these fun things for kids, and then somebody get up and preach the gospel and have an altar call. People come down praying. Kids are crying. You know, and, and then they come to Jesus. That's how we do it. That doesn't work there. You can't get up and preach the gospel because if you do, this Muslim cleric is going to come through shouting stuff in Arabic and saying everybody better go home or else and everybody will scatter like ants. So what did we do? We did our school assembly program in the park. Kids Conquest, we just did it in the park. And this cleric comes up to me and goes, Somebody, the, the guys had pointed me out and said, he's the leader. So they, this guy works his way over to me, and I introduced myself to him. And he said, what are you going to say? I said, what? He said, what are you going to say in a few minutes when they're finished? I said, I'm not going to say anything. He goes, yeah, you're the leader. You're going to say something. I said, no, I'm not. Well, what are they going to say? Well, they're going to talk about how drugs are not good, and alcohol is not good, and bullying is not good. And he said, are you going to talk about Jesus Christ? I said, no, sir, not here. We're not. And he said, people do. They do. They say they want, and then they do. How would you like it if someone gathered your children and gave them candy and then tried to tell them to go against their parents? I said, sir, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And he waited around to find out. Fortunately, I knew that we weren't supposed to do that. In fact, one of our girls, Lindsay Spivey, brilliant. Lindsay was supposed to lead this little song or lead this little cheer. And it has something about 
I forgot what it is, but you're supposed to say, da 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 pork chop. And we thought, pork, don't do it. And so at, at, at the very last minute, she goes, chopstick or something like that. <laughs> we went, good job, Lizzie. We didn't even mention pork, you know. And I asked Trey, I said, Trey, what happens now? We, we can't, there's no, what do we do? He goes, oh, our people from our church, they're meeting people. And they're going to invite them to their house. They're meeting them. They're getting their names. And they're going to invite them to their home. Or they're going to visit in their home. And they're going to hear the gospel. And I went, yes! Let me ask you this. What one step can you take today? What decision or plan can you make today? Can you move beyond fear before being uncomfortable? Can you move beyond your, your uh, comfort zone? Will you begin praying for divine appointments? To start acting on the impressions the Holy Spirit begins to give you? Will you notice the people at work? Will you notice your neighbors? Will you be hospitable? Will you open your home and invite them in for coffee? We, we treat homes like forts now. We don't like people in our house. Listen, open yourself up to something new for the gospel. And I don't like people in my house. Well, guess what? If you invite them, it'll shock them and they will come to see what your house looks like. They will come to find out what is happening in that house. And when the Holy Ghost is in your house and they walk in, they will notice God lives there. And you will build that relationship with Can we do that? Will you do something this week you've never done before? Would you get out of your comfort zone, your Bible Belt comfort zone, and say, and hear the Holy Spirit say, next, please. Heavenly Father, I want to just thank you that we have the opportunity to get creative and to reach people where they are. Father, I know relationships are the best way to win people, and in America now it's going to take that. And I ask you, oh Lord, to help us do what George Whitfield did and get creative and to find a way in whatever circumstance to reach someone, to open a door to reach someone. Heavenly Father, I pray. I pray that you would lay it on the heart of everyone in this room of the next step they can take. Amen. Would you stand with me just for a moment? I'm going to ask the prayer team if you'll just come and, and stand across the front. And this is what I want to ask. I'm going to ask you if you would be willing to come and let a prayer team member agree with you that you would take a next step that God has for you to take. That God would help you here next, please. Maybe you say, hey, look, I've got a neighbor. I'm going to ask him to my house. I feel like God just spoke that to me. And I want somebody to agree and pray with me that God would make that happen. I want you, instead of you going, I need to repent of something. It's okay if you need to repent of something. That's cool. But I want you to go down and say, would you agree with me for the next step that God has for me? Would you do that? Would you... Would you take the time, we're early, would you take the time to just get one of these incredible people to agree with you in prayer? Would you step out now if you will. Just come and let somebody agree with you 
that you'll be ready to take the next step. Would you come? Would you come? Yes. Just come and let somebody agree with you right now. Let someone agree. It's time, guys. It's time. Would you? Would you? Maybe it's one of those things that you need to say, God, that, that waitress that waits on me every time I go eat breakfast there, God, I'm going to open up and just be kind to them. I'm going to double and triple my tip just so they'll listen to the words that I say and know that I care about them. God, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to take a step I haven't ever taken before. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, if every person that's at this altar right now praying, I ask you, oh God, I ask you to empower them right now to have the Holy Spirit speak and say, this is where we go and this is what we do. Holy Spirit, do a work in every one of these people. And Father, those that are in the pew right now that the Holy Spirit's speaking to, Lord, give them ideas in the night. Speak to them. Lord, I, I prophesy over them. They will have dreams. They will see themselves doing the work of God. They would hear your voice clearly at work this week. They would notice someone they haven't noticed before. And they'll begin praying how to reach that person. Oh, Lord, we want to hear next, please. Next, please. Next, please. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. You deserve it all. You deserve it all. We give you the highest. You deserve it all. 